Welcome to Northgate Christian Fellowship's weekly message series. And now, here is Senior Pastor Ken Jensen. Well, uh, last week we began this series we're calling Insomnia. And it has to do with the things that keep you up at night. And um, since we started this series, or actually since we announced this series, people have been sending me like articles and uh, links on the web and everything. And I don't know why, but someone uh, sent me this leak the uh, link on the web, it's actually from National Geographic, an article, it said, the mysteries of your sleep cycle may be unlocked by the hairs on your head. <laughs> Not sure why they sent this one to me, but evidently there's a portion of your brain, it's called the suprachiasmatic nucleus, and it controls your body clock. And what they have found is that the, that the RNA strands um, in, in your genes um, actually process the signals that determine your body clock. Determines whether you're a night person um, or a morning person. It, it really is. That, that these are 24-hour cycles, and it's the RNA in the genes um, that, that determine that. And the, way they, the best way they can find this is by a hair follicle test. Now, what I'm very glad to announce is they have found that there is no correlation to the amount of hair on your head <laughs> and the amount of sleep you get, okay? So I was very glad or gratified with that part of it. Um, the series we're calling Insomnia, and there are some particular stresses that seem to be the things that keep us awake at night. And last week we talked about anxiety. Um, in the weeks ahead, we're going to be talking about things like financial pressures and, and family issues and, and major life decisions that you have to make or feelings of guilt and shame. And those, um, those little invitation cards that we put in your bulletin really encourage you to use those because you probably know somebody who's dealing with at least one of those things. Um, but this morning, what we're going to be talking about is unreserved, unresolved conflict. Um, Ephesians 4, 26 says, Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. That there is a correlation between unresolved conflict and your ability to sleep. It's right there in the Bible. And there's a lot of people that miss a lot of sleep because of conflicts that have been unresolved in their life. And so how do you do that? How do you not let the sun go down on your anger? Well, the key to it is forgiveness. And Jesus talked an awful lot about forgiveness. And Matthew 5, uh, verse 23, we'll read a little bit there, and then we're going to skip over a couple pages to Matthew 18. Um, But this is Jesus' instructions. He says in verse 23 of Matthew 5, Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled to your brother. Then come and offer your gift. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you, while you are still with him on the way, or he may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand, hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown in prison. And I tell you the truth, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. Then over in Matthew 18, if you want to turn a few pages over, it says that Peter came to Jesus, and he said, Lord... How many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times. Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. The kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And as he began the settlement, the man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children, that all that be sold to repay the debt. And the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. 
But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And he grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. And his fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay you back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In his anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he could pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. Some pretty stern words. That forgiveness is not an option. Unresolved conflict is not an option. That we are called to deal with it. And we are called to deal with these things through the process of forgiveness. And Jesus gives some really very clear instruction on how that works. So that's what we're going to look at this morning. How do you do that? Now, I'll tell you up front, this is easier said than done. Much easier said than done. Much easier to talk about than to actually do it. But it can be done. So this morning... Some of the steps to resolve conflict that you might have with someone. And the first is simply this. Acknowledge the conflict. Just acknowledge that there's something. You can only heal hurts that are acknowledged. And forgiveness is not avoiding it or stuffing it or excusing it or putting it off in the corner somewhere. Something has happened. Both of these teachings of Jesus start with, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember, your brother has something against you. When Peter asked Jesus, he says, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? There's been a rift in the relationship in both of these. Something is wrong, and that something has to be resolved. Not avoided, not denied, not stuffed, but resolved. So let me tell you a few things. First of all, you understand forgiveness is not. Forgiveness is not denying. Forgiveness is not avoiding. Forgiveness, in fact, forgiveness is not excusing. Because excusing has to do with whether or not somebody really is to blame. Excuse, if somebody gets excused, they're not to blame. Let me give you an example of that. Uh, when we were young parents, uh, one of our children, and I will not mention which one by name, but um, it was a Sunday morning. We were all dressed up, ready to go to church. I was on pastoral staff at the church, and we had to be there, and I was running late, and I was supposed to be there for a certain time, and I was running late and everything. We got all the, you know how it is when you got two kids. Getting them all together, getting them in the car, and just as we're putting one of them into the car, they had a major blowout. (laughs) Now, for those of you who, this is before, you know, pampers and all those really nice, well-done diapers, okay? When we're talking blowout, we are talking like everywhere, I mean, like, on all of us, because we were in the process of handing one to another. So it was just one of those run in the house, you know, just change clothes, throw it all in the bathtub, and, you know, head out to church, you know? Now, that child does not need forgiving. Didn't like what they did, but they don't need forgiving, because that's what kids do, okay? They are excused for that. They're not at fault. They're not to blame, okay? So excusing... You can excuse if somebody's not to blame. Forgiving is not excusing. Forgiving is holding somebody responsible for something that they did, that they are to blame. 
Forgiveness is not avoiding. It's not denying. It's not excusing. It's not even tolerating. You can forgive somebody and not tolerate their behavior. Because when you forgive, you are identifying a real problem, a real thing that happened, and you are forgiving that thing. So it's important that you really know what is it that needs forgiving. Acknowledge the conflict, identify it. And then when you forgive, the first step of forgiving is holding somebody responsible. You hurt me. You did something to harm our relationship. Something has gone wrong here. And so you've got to identify it and you hold the person responsible. You forgive people for what they do. Not necessarily for who they are, but for what they do. You name the hurt. You name the action, the behavior. And by the way, you don't have to go around doing this with every little thing. We had, um, I had a person in my life a number of years ago now, and, and it was like always coming to me to deal with something that had come between us that I had no idea about. And it, it, honestly, it got to the point when I saw her coming, I would turn the other way because I just knew if she was coming to have a conversation, it was not going to be fun. And I was constantly offending her. Just like, you know, lighten up. <laughs> In fact, I told her once, I said, you know, sometimes you're just, you're just a little too picky. And she said to me, you have no idea how much I hold back. <laughs> okay, it's time to step away from this relationship. Okay, you don't have to do that with every little thing. But when things happen in a relationship, the first step is identify the conflict. Acknowledge it. Something's happened. Name it. And then you do it. By the way, in every situation, there's plenty of blame to go, go around. You notice in, these are two different instances. In the first one is that your brother has something against you. You are the offending party. And you realize, I've done something to hurt a relationship. Then you take care of it. And the, in the instance with Peter, he's saying, how many times shall I forgive a brother when he sins against me? And the truth of the matter is, there's always blame on both sides. Lewis Smith puts it this way. We always feel like innocent lambs, but we are not as pure as we feel. Even if we are the injured party, we are seldom the completely innocent party. <laughs> There's usually enough blame to go around. And it's much easier to see it in the other person. But the first thing you do is acknowledge the hurt. Acknowledge the conflict. Then, then when you know what it is, then you're ready to take the initiative. Now do something about it. Make reconciliation a priority. He says, if this comes up, he says, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled to your brother. Don't put it off. Deal with it. In fact, the next verse, he says, settle matters quickly with your adversary. Do all that you can. Do your part to resolve the conflict. The longer that you hold on to it, the worse it's going to become. Because it's like a video replaying in your mind. And, and, and the circumstances don't change. It just makes it worse. And it's like when you watch a football replay against your team, the call goes against your team, and you watch a replay, and it's clearly, clearly the official got it wrong. The official got it wrong. And that they still go ahead with their call. Now, they run that replay every time. It doesn't change what happened. It just makes you angrier about it. <laughs> and that's what happens when you replay it in your own mind and you keep putting off the reconciliation. It just gets worse. So do your part first. And by the way, you don't come to vent. The goal is reconciliation. So you don't come to just dump on the person. You come to resolve the conflict. 
And you can forgive. You can forgive people without them asking. Because a lot of times they won't ask. But the forgiveness starts in your own heart. Now, it would be a much, much easier to forgive somebody if they came crawling on their knees in sackcloth and ashes and begged for your forgiveness. Then you would feel very comfortable forgiving. That doesn't happen. So forgiveness starts in your own heart. You do your part. Because what if they never ask? And when you do it, do it correctly. Look at this next verse, Matthew 18, verse 15. If your brother sins against you, go and show him his fault just between the two of you. Now, that is so contrary to human nature. Because what we tend to do is tell the story to other people. We build our case. We win supporters for our side. (laughs) And when we do that, what we end up doing is we build a whole group of people over here who have nothing to do with the offense, but now they're in on it. So now if you do make reconciliation, if you do handle this forgiveness thing, now it's much harder because now you've got a whole group of people that you've got to go back and explain because now they're holding stuff against this person that they have no business in. So you keep it just between the two of you. If you must, if you must talk it through with somebody, then whatever you do, choose one person. Only one person who is a safe person, who can keep a confidence, and who is spiritually mature. And you do it for counsel. You do it to be able to get your own heart right. Maybe you need to talk it through. But you don't go blabbing to everybody else. Do your part. Take the initiative. And then we get to the really difficult part. You surrender the right to get even. And this may be the toughest part of the whole thing. You give up your right to get even. Jesus taught us to pray. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. That might be the most difficult sentence in that whole prayer. And it's probably a prayer that we pray and never do. (laughs) Because he says, as we also have forgiven our debtors. Literally, literally it means to let go. Debt or, or trespasses in some translations has to do with that which is owed. And to forgive is to to separate away, to surrender away, to let go, to send it away, to take your hands off of it and say, I let go. It really, it's, it's actually, it's a financial term. It's this whole idea of canceling a debt, which is the story that Jesus told. Because here's the problem. When we keep records, you know, the record book, and you try to keep balancing the account, it never does. Because because the pain that I feel is always greater than the hurt that I inflict. The pain that I feel is always greater than the hurt that I inflict. I never hurt anybody as badly as they hurt me. So to get even, I've got to step it up a notch to balance it in my own mind. But the problem is no two people use the same scales. And so I might think I'm getting even, but now I've hurt you greater. So now you got to get even, which to me is you've hurt me greater, and it keeps escalating. And that's why the only way to resolve this thing is to let go. And that might be the toughest thing in the world because we live by this eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. Gandhi said, if the world continues to live by an eye for an eye, eventually the whole world will be blind. 
He's got a point. What we're doing is we are letting people off the hook. We are canceling the debt without inflicting harm on their credit rating. <laughs> it's letting go. I am sure in the story that Jesus told that the servant who had been forgiven of the debt, probably in the back of my mind, he feels he has every right now to go after the guy who owes him money. In fact, it might be that he's thinking in his mind, you know, I never would have gotten in my mess if you had paid me on time so I could pay back him on time. You know, he might have all kinds of rationalizations about why he went after the other guy who owed him money. He never made the connection of the great debt that he had been forgiven. He never saw that. He never made that connection. And that's why Jesus, in fact, throughout the whole New Testament, we keep getting pounded with this idea that you forgive as you have been forgiven. You forgive as your heavenly Father has forgiven you. You pray, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. <laughs> there's, this, there's this constant linking because we don't make that connection. Jesus tells the story so that we'd make the connection. The king says, I canceled that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? And then in case you didn't get the point of the story, Jesus goes, this is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. Get it? <laughs> There's a connection there. Now understand, he's not talking about salvation. We know salvation is not earned by our ability to be merciful and gracious to other people. That is a gift from God, and that is not earned. But what he is saying, that our relationship with God will be hampered. It will be strained. It will not be what it needs to be if we cannot forgive other people. Because we will never understand the depth of his grace and mercy to us until we have to do it with somebody else. And I think that's the point. Yes, you will be saved by God's grace and his mercy no matter what. It is an unconditional gift. But you will never experience the fullness of the relationship that he has for you if you cannot forgive somebody else because you don't yet understand his grace. You do not yet understand the depth of his mercy and forgiveness toward you. And I think that's why throughout scripture that we just keep, it keep, the two keep getting linked together. You've been forgiven you forgive others. You forgive others as you have been forgiven. It's over and over. You can't get away from this. This is not an option. He says, this is absolutely necessary to your relationship with me. That you understand the depth of what I have done. And it's an incredible antidote to self-righteousness. It's interesting to me. Actually, it's profound to me that one of the things that Jesus gave us to remember him by in communion, which we're going to share together this morning, is a reminder constantly of his grace. I believe one of the reasons that he gave us communion, the Lord's table, is not just so that we remember what he's done for us, but that we remember our whole life, our whole, our whole being is based on grace. And if we cannot be gracious and merciful to other people, we don't fully embrace the relationship he has given to us. And so he gives us a reminder, says, remember, it's always grace. Every time when you come together and you share together in this meal, remember, remember what's been done for you. 
Remember the price that was paid for you. Remember how freely God has offered his forgiveness, not because you deserved it, but because he did for you what you couldn't do for yourself. Because we always want justice when we are recipients of mercy. (laughs) He says, never forget it. Never forget it. And in fact, I think that's why he he ties this whole idea of being together in worship and realizing if there is something between you and another brother, particularly if you are the one at at fault, more important than your worship, more important than your sacrifice, more important than anything else is to go and be reconciled. Because that is the basis of the kingdom of God. That is the whole foundation for your relationship with him. Be reconciled. Get rid and surrender that right to get even. And that might be the hardest thing in the world to do, but that's what it means. I surrender the right to get even. And with that, make forgiveness a lifelong commitment because it will take you a lifetime to master. It's never a one-shot deal. Peter came to Jesus and said, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? And he thinks he's doing really good. He thinks he's being really magnanimous. I mean, seven times, that's a lot of times to forgive somebody. And Jesus says to him, not seven times, but 77 times. In fact, some translation says 70 times 70. Now, what he's not doing is he's not establishing a limit and a bar that says, okay, when you get to 78, then it's okay to not do anything about it. Or if you really want to be good, if you want to get to like 491, then you don't have to. But here's the point. If you are keeping track, you're not forgiving. <laughs> if you've got to count. In fact, it's, it's interesting. Peter, if he's only going to do it seven times, he blew three of them in one night. <laughs> he denied Jesus three times in one night. I mean, he's almost halfway there and it's only been one night. What's he going to do from now on? What Jesus is saying, this is a lifetime. This is a lifetime. The point is that forgiveness is hard work and it takes lots and lots of practice. And fortunately, you will get plenty of opportunities. It takes practice. Because what he wants to do in our hearts and our lives is develop a character of mercy. A character of grace. A character of love. In the Sermon on the Mount, he said, Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. And it might be that you have to forgive somebody for seven different offenses. You might have to forgive somebody seven times for the same offense they keep doing. And it may be, it may be that you have to forgive them seven times, seven times, 77 times for the same offense that you're just having a hard time getting over. It might be just one thing. And every time it comes to your remembrance, it stirs up the anger, it stirs up all the hurt, it stirs up all those feelings. And once again, forgive. You keep doing it. And you can forgive. You can forgive with a little bit of anger still left over because it's going to take time. You can forgive imperfectly, but still do it consistently. And the idea is this, that the more that you practice this, 
the easier it does become. It really does. But it's a constant choice to let go. How do you know? How do you know when you've forgiven somebody? I think the true test of knowing if you've truly forgiven is that you can remember the offense and not have the anger. That you can remember the hurt without feelings of malice toward that person. I think then then you've really let go. And that might take a long, long time. But the more that you do it, the better you get at it. Lewis Smeads, one of his great books called Forgive and Forget, and he sums it up this way. He said, it is really a question of style. How do you usually respond to people who hurt you? Do you always go for the jugular? Do you plan revenge every time somebody treats you badly? Is getting even a way of life? If you never even want to forgive, never even try to remove the hateful memory and restore a loving relationship, you are in a lot of trouble. But if you are trying to forgive, even if you manage forgiving in fits and starts, even if you forgive today, hate again tomorrow, and have to forgive again the day after, you are a forgiver. Most of us are amateurs, bungling duffers sometimes. So what? In this game, nobody is an expert. We are all beginners. Would you bow your heads with me? Thank you for listening to this week's message. We trust that you'll join us again soon for another uplifting message from Northgate Christian Fellowship located in Benicia, California.